Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody clap for Jesus. Amen. What an honor to be here. You know, I got to be honest with you. I was saying, y'all need to let the worship team just rock like three or four or five more songs up in here. Was it just me? I mean, I didn't want to get up to come up here and preach. Especially after what Mark did last, last week. He went in. Giving honor to uh, the house leadership, uh, Pastor James, the First Lady, Pastor Ra, Pastor Josh, all the other leadership, Pastor Mark, uh, greetings from the Promised Land Covenant Church Movement in the Bronx. I'm accompanied today with the Pastors Flores, Pastor Mike Flores of the Navigators of New York City, if you could just stand up, Dr. Jessica Flores with Soul Saving Station and the Redemption Project in Harlem. Uh, I told them they had to come see what God was doing in Brooklyn. And so they decided to come through. Yesterday we had a great time with a multi-church, multi-denominational men's group gathering in the Bronx. And I was just excited to get to Bridge. I've not been to this facility. It's the first time I'm here. So I'm so excited to see what God has done, where God has brought you. Somebody say amen. Amen. I mean, you know what you've gone through. You know where you've been. You know what promises were extended and when what, what, what was retracted. We know the tensions of church planting in one of the hardest, most expensive cities on the planet. Somebody say amen. amen. Church planting is expensive. To be a, a local, missional, vibrant, orthodox church in this city, you got to do it because God is with you. Uh, and that the finances pop up miraculously. Uh, amen. Because this thing costs money. And to see God providing and being Jehovah Jireh. Honored to be with you. I'm going to steal this series, Summer in the Psalms, uh, to bring it to the Bronx because I just thought it was such a genuine way of redirecting the church to an orthodox worship. What Pastor Mark unpacked last week, if you were paying attention, if you did not catch that sermon, catch that sermon. Because there's so many pockets. You can tell he ain't preached in a while because he had 15 sermons and one thesis, and he tried to get 15 sermons out in 40 minutes. Matter of fact, I got 40 minutes on the clock. Don't, you don't, listen, with a Puerto Rican Pentecostal, you don't start the clock until I read the text. Don't, the, until I get to the psalm we're studying, don't start the clock. This is just introduction. Amen? Uh, if I could title today, really trying to follow the thesis that was unpacked, uh, there was one place I wanted to highlight that Mark hit that was so prophetic, so prolific, and I think that if you did not catch it, if you don't have a consciousness, it'll go right over your head. When he talked about the historical framework of theology that was formed within the situation of slavery in the United States, when he talked about black slaves being in the water and singing, wait in the water, no, I can't sing, I'm not Mark, I'm not even going to try to, but wait in the water, 
and how that was. You hear the South Bronx? What a... We overemphasize and we dramatize our phonetics. Amen? And you know, I'm altogether confused culturally because I'm black and Puerto Rican. My mother's from um, the Carolinas and my father's from Manati, Puerto Rico. And so I can go there if I need to, but I'm just saying. But he talked about and he parked for just 30 seconds on how they had a code switch even then. We're still code switching today as a people of color. We're still saying one thing, meaning something else, because we can't truly be who God called us, intended us to be. The world that we live in is altogether fallen. Every ideology is fallen. Every ism is fallen. Everything is fallen. Capitalism is fallen. I said it. Democrats are fallen. Republicans are fallen. Every socio-political ideology that we could ever form is fallen. The only thing that can stand upright is the kingdom of God. And we as kingdom citizens must find our identity within the construct of biblical orthodox worship. And that's what Mark was unpacking in such a beautiful array, such a beautiful variance, uh, such a historical, uh, even up to date he presented a framework that I'm like, bro, I just want to come back and I want to take that and uh, edge that out and let's, let's, let's find other sermons through that. Powerful. Thank you for that, Mark. I wanted to reflect with you uh, one of my favorite theologians. One of my favorite theologians as an intro. Walter Bruggeman talks about psalm literature or worship literature, and he says this. The book of Psalms provides the most reliable theological, pastoral, and liturgical resource given to us in the biblical tradition. If you're going to a church and they're, coming, and they're not coming at you from a biblical framework, then you need to question what's being presented to you. We don't gather to talk about tradition. We come to meet King Jesus. And it's within the context of the Psalms where the Spirit of God reveals through the people that are chosen by God what is a forming theology within the crux of crisis and life. Our theology is not formed when we gather on Sundays. Our theology and how we live out our faith is only formed in living out faith in crisis. You find out who you are not in the good times. You find out who you are in the struggling times. When you got to wade in the water so that the soldier can set another slave free. When you got to take off the mask and, and allow yourself to be who God intended you to be. What a prolific moment for us. What a time in history for us to be the church on mission in Brooklyn. Bruggeman says this, on one side, psalm literature is the revelation of Israel's faithful speech. We see Israel's theology forming through the psalms, through the brokenness of the choir directors and the psalmists. It's Israel's theology expressed. On one side, Luther says that the Psalms are not only addressed to God, they're also, check this, hear this, hear this, the voice of the gospel. Because it's in the Psalms where we see King Jesus. 
We think that the only time we talk about gospels when we get to the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No. In Psalms, we see Jesus. The Psalms are Christocentric, Christ-centered. We see his majesty. We see his royalty. We see that he is Adonai, that he's Lord. We see that he is king over the universe. We see that he is wisdom. We see that he's the loving shepherd. We see that he is the, he is the, the, the very movement of the spirit of God releasing and setting people free. Oh, that we would study the Psalms as they should be studied. Oh, that we would just dive into this with a, with a discipline and with an eye and a heart, thirsty to fall in love with the Holy Spirit, thirsty to see King Jesus. If that's you this morning, you're in the right spot. Praise be to God. Bowing your heads, extending your hands toward me. Agree with me in prayer. Father, I pray, God, that you already, that which you started, you continue. I pray that you loose liberation in this place, that you untie the knots of circumstance, that you bring healing to the most broken and you touch the hardest of hearts. I pray, God, against every principality, every power, every wickedness, every generation curse, every demonic manifestation, everything that would attempt to exalt itself against the knowledge of God, we cast this thing down in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray that you would be high and lifted up and that you would draw all men unto yourself, all women unto yourself, all people unto yourself. Receive the glory because the glory is yours. In Jesus' mighty name. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody look at the neighbor and say one throne, one world, one God. Come on, I thought I was in Brooklyn. Somebody say one throne, one world, one God. Say it one more time. Say one throne, one world, one God. There's only one throne for the one most high God. There's only one throne. Don't allow syncretism to come into your theology and into your ecclesiology. There's only one way to heaven and that's through Jesus. Some of you are going to say, oh my God, he's a fundamentalist. No, I'm not. I'm just orthodox. There's only one way to heaven. It's through the blood of Jesus. There's only one way to salvation. There's only one name given to man where we might be saved. There's only one key given to us to unlock the, the what? The slavery and the captivity of our addiction, of our corruption, and the innate sin that so what? Easily besets us and has shipwrecked us on islands of brokenness, scarring. Brueggemann turns around and says this, Psalm literature is what the community of faith has heard over the centuries in the age of the church from the suffering songwriter and the choir directors. The gospel is made tangible. It is a, a, a window into the gospel, into the good news that King Jesus shows up in every crisis. This is how African Americans who were kidnapped from their motherland were able to get through 400 years of genocide. This is how the people group did not die out. Even when they had a corrupted faith given to them in the slave Bible. Even when their masters brutalized them. What got them through that was worship. What got them through that was the Psalms. Was them knowing that this is not just the way it is. That my life doesn't end in the total sum of debauchery and pain. Though I may not be in control of everything, but I can worship my way out. God can see me and God is faithful. I'm talking to the brokenhearted this morning. And God's assignment is to meet you in that place that you've been hiding for a long time.
Go into the Psalms and let there be a balm of Gilead that heals you, restores you, revitalizes you. He says this, there are four critical spaces that psalm literature and poetry meet us. Four critical spaces. The first one is this, a critical space in human life. Human life consists in satisfied seasons of well-being that evoke gratitude, which enables us to be the recipient of blessing. You ever notice that if you get a blessing before you're ready for the blessing, you can't keep the blessing? Am I talking to anybody yet? You ever notice that if you get something prematurely without having gone through due process, the very thing you're, you're striving for, you lose it because you can't sustain it? Well, the Psalms give us an orientation and a framework and, and they prepare us to receive blessing as we see who is, who is the one that's doing the blessing. We're the recipients of mercy. We're the recipients of grace. We're the recipients of this God of the universe. And the imagery and the language throughout all of the Psalms is so powerful and so distinct. How is it that we clap our hands in worship? Why do we clap our hands in worship? Because we serve a God that's above every problem. Somebody say amen. We serve a God that's above every situation. We serve a God that when we feel totally out of control, we can still sleep at night because we know God is faithful. God meets us. Everybody, especially when everybody's walking away from us. The psalmist speaks in despair and loneliness over and over and over again. How long will the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? How long will the haters hate me? Uh, Bronx and Brooklyn translation. <laughs> How long will I be betrayed by my own family members? How long will they talk about me like a dog? How long, Lord? How long? Until he says you're ready. You see, it's in our crisis that we're formed. It's in the waiting for the response from the Spirit that we find maturity. That's where we get the testimony from. You can't testify something you haven't survived. You can't testify something you haven't gone through. You can't talk to me about overcoming something if you've overcome nothing. And the psalmist empowers you to be more than an overcomer. The psalms, this literature empowers us to be more than overcomers. It empowers us to be worship leaders in the midst of our wars of life. The psalms are your secret weapon in the canon. The psalms are what you pull out when everything's against you, when the time and the clock is ticking, when you get the report, and the report is you're sick and it's a terminal disease. And instead of woe is me comes out, you say praise be to God. The orientation is different. It's the total abstract. To a, We need to start praising and stop complaining. I'm going to say that again because, you know, we are a complaining people group. I'm going to tell you right now. It's too high in here. It's water's warm. How come you wearing shorts while you doing worship? What are we doing? Where are we going? How many times are we gonna move? Why you keep snoring that loud? I can't sleep. Whatever the situation is, and I jest, 
But all blessing that comes from the blesser, if you read and study and meditate and worship in the Psalms, you are prepared for the blessing. It orientates you to have a grateful heart, a heart of gratitude. You know, I got five adult children. Five adult children. The Lord gave them to me, and I didn't give them back to the Lord. I ain't take them out yet. Praise be to God. And I got this one son, my oldest son, Alex, my oldest son. It's the oldest, always the first one. It's always the first one. You know, the first child is always the lab rat. You just mess that kid up from the floor up. Because you don't know what you're doing. You're a kid raising a kid. And so the scars and the issues and the challenges and the lies and all of the things you don't want, you don't want to turn out to be your parents, but you wind up turning out to be your parents as you raise your children. And then they start to pick up your parents' old generational behavior. And you start to see it clearly and you start to pray against it. And you start to go through the crisis of having a child that is off the cadena, that is off the chains. And it tends to be PK kids. I don't know why they lose their mind. I mean, lose their mind. And they told the total opposite to how they were raised, what they were exposed to. I don't know if we sheltered our children. I don't know what it is. But I got this oldest son. He keeps me on my knees. But he's also kept me in the presence of God. And sometimes the enemy can't get to you. He'll get to your kids. I don't know who I'm talking to. Sometimes he can't get to you. He'll get to what's closest to you. And if you are not prayed up and you're not in worship and you're not in fellowship and you're not under the anointing and you're not tied to a community of faith that's praying and believing, you won't be able to prophesy your way out of the crisis of a family that's being broken because of a wayward child. I've had to learn how to sing through my son's crisis. I've learned how to recite this, the word of God over his life. Even when I've seen him in prison, even when I've seen him in drug programs, even when I've seen him broken and unemployed, even when I've seen his addiction, I've had to prophesy to myself and then release that prophecy over him. I know what it is to turn around. I know what it is to turn around and not see better days and say to God, God, remember the plans that you have for Mikey. Lord, remember the plans that you have for Mikey. Lord, remember the plans that you set aside for his life. Lord, remember the place that you took him from. Lord, remember that you took him out of ICU. Lord, remember that you pulled him out of Rikers Island. Lord, remember that you put, Lord, remember, Lord, remember, Lord, remember, Lord, remember, Lord, remember. Lord, remember, I start to remind God. I start to sing this psalm of gratitude. I thank you for my son. I thank you that he's still in the land of the living. I thank you that it's not over yet. I thank you that he's not dead. I thank you that he got through. I thank you that you kept him. Can you tell I've been praying for my son? Praying. The devil's after him. And instead of getting emotionally catatonic and paralyzed, I choose to worship. I choose to worship. I choose to say my God is an awesome God. And he reigns on heaven and earth. And there is nothing he can't do. There is no one he can't save. Am I talking to anybody yet? So when I see the hardest of hearts turning it soft and start to respond to the preaching and the move of obedience in the gospel, I can now have from a place of gratitude, worship even in a deeper, more perspective, more trusting place. When I've seen God be faithful, it increases my faith. When I see God respond to my prayers, I can go deeper in prayer. 
Matter of fact, check this out. This is paradoxical. But when I see God start to answer my prayers, guess what? I can go deeper in crisis too. Level up. Level up, level up, level up. Level up. Level up, level up, level up. People say there's new levels, there's new devils. That's true. Ain't no devil above the level of God. Brigham says this, human life consists of anguish, seasons of hurt, alienation, pain, rejection, brokenness, suffering, and death. The Psalms is a commentary to rise above all and see Jesus. Life has twists and turns. Today you here, tomorrow you down here, just like that. You guys know the story. Some of you know we had a brand new building. Walked in, we had James come and preach. James came and preached the paint off the walls. Matter of fact, I think I got fired in my church that Sunday that James preached. I said, I said Dr. James Robinson, we're going to have him come back. Pastor Mike, you're going to sit down for a season in silence and reflection. I said, thanks, James. I'm honored to have this sweat rag right here from Pastor Ra. Next Sunday, the church burned down. I said, thanks, James. Him and Kelly and Mark came. Y'all remember? Came, set the Bronx on fire, literally. Whole block blew up. I'm standing that Sunday crying. Tears coming down, trying to control myself. And of course, there's always like the cameras this close to your face. Teeth ain't in my mouth. Fronts is in it. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh my God, they're going to see my gaps. They're gonna, my hair ain't going. I ain't got my line in my head. Fade ain't tight. And the church is on fire. Church is on fire. And all the stuff that we put into it. And I had a choice to either say God is punishing me or I could say God is establishing me. And I had to release a praise as everything we had was burning and going up in smoke. I had to release worship in a time of crisis that was corporate crisis, not even just personal crisis. Life consists of anguish, seasons of hurt, and the Lord is giving us the Psalms to help us navigate through those seasons of hurt, alienation, and pain. Literally, Psalms is a therapeutic narrative that calms the soul, that realigns us, that reorientates us, that points us to the light in the dark space. Number three, human life consists of constant surprises and turns that we're not prepared for. Yet the psalmist has already prepared for them, already gone through them, already experienced God's faithfulness in them. A summer in the Psalms is a summer in worship. It's a summer in learning how to be a worship leader in every area and aspect of your life. You don't have to sound like Mark and Kelly to be a worship leader. I open my mouth when I sing in my church. There's a Pat, Bishop, 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 sit down. Because I sound like a howling cat. I know I sound like a howling cat. I know I sound like a howling cat. I know I can't hold a note to save my life. I know that. But God wants to hear my worship anyway. Come on. Don't get mad at the person that's next to you worshiping louder than you, jumping, crying, mocos and snot all over the place. You have no idea what that person's going through. Seriously, I get upset when I see people, the Pharisees in the church. There's always Pharisees in the church. 
Every, even the Baptists have Pharisees in their church. Every church has Pharisees. And the Pharisees will always sound like this in the church. You know, why you get so emotional? You hollering and screaming and jumping and carrying on? The Lord, yeah, no es pa tanto in Spanish. In other words, it ain't for all of that. What's all that emotion and carrying on? Move over. Oh, let me go sit in another row. You need to go lock yourself next to that person's hip so that you can learn how to do what they're doing. Because you don't understand until you're in that space. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm here to talk to the person that got rebel Lou going on in your life. You got chaos, you got brokenness, you got, situ- you got furniture that's been rearranged in, the, in your house life that you're bumping into. You don't know how it got there, you didn't do it, but you're still bumping into it. And instead of stubbing your toe at 3 o'clock in the morning and allowing the profanity to come out, because you know some of y'all want to prophesy and speak in tongues, you know, boop, la, 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 no, 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 no. That don't happen in my house. If I stub my toe at 3 o'clock in the morning, ain't no heavenly tongues coming out my mouth. I'm telling Liz, who put this here? She's like, Mike, you put it there five years ago. It's been in the same spot. If you turn on the lights, you'll be able to walk through the living room. Wear your slippers. But you know, you get to a certain age. Like, I can't hop up here no more. I saw the entire worship team just hop, hop off the... I can't, I told Josh on the down low, listen to me, on the down, I said, keep it on the down low. Get me the step up ladder, please. What Mark do? Come up here and blow up my spot early in the morning. Oh, we got the step ladder out? <laughs> Who's it for? It must be for Pastor Mike. Yeah, because my knees ain't, ain't like, you know, I ain't got knees no more. I got a praise in my mouth, but I got bad knees. You know, you're hopping and carrying on. You get slower as you get older. But you should get deeper as you get older. You should get wiser as you get older. But we're in a generation where men don't know how to be men. Women don't know how to be women. Come on. We got society trying to remix our identity. (laughs) Pre-birth. Come on, let's talk about this. The Bible gives us our identity. We don't know who we are until we get into the text. Because when we get into the text, we see who he is. And when we see who he is, we find out who we are. And the closer we get to him, the more dirty we see on ourselves. Can I kick it? The closer I get to God, the more filthy and broken and depraved I find myself. The more in need of him I am. So a deeper worship is necessary for a deeper crisis. A well-rounded Christian and believer in Jesus that's following in the way is going to worship through crisis. It's going to worship through storms. The total sum is that psalm literature gives us kingdom orientation. The psalm I'm supposed to unpack today is Psalm 47. And the Bible says this, and listen to the prolific verbiage. Listen to this, verse 1, Psalm 47 I'm reading from the real word of God, the ESV. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with the loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. A king over all the earth. A king over... We don't, we're not in a democracy. We're in a theocracy. A monarchy. Doesn't matter who the president is. There's a king. And he's alive. Somebody say amen. We follow King Jesus. He's king over all the earth. 
He's king over every circumstance. He's king. Let him be king over your life. You're not worshiping until you're worshiping the king. And you need to know you're going to worship something because that's how you, Mark said it last week, you were born, you were designed by God to worship. And either you will worship him who, who called you into being or you're going to worship something else. Or you're going to worship somebody else. Matter of fact, I'll, I'll tell you, if you follow really what you're chasing, I'll tell you who you're worshiping. What are you chasing? What's your goal? What's your goal? My goal used to be get the flyest sneakers. Woo! The newest Jordans. Worshiping sneakers. Get the flyest clothes. Get the, fly, the flyest bling. The ice. Worshiping inanimate objects. Worshiping my hair. <laughs> Got to get that, that line. Tight fade. And then admire myself. You know you bad when you, every time you walk by a mirror, you got to stop, pause, and look. <laughs> we self-idolatry. We, 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 we become idolatry. Self-idolatry so easily because we were created to worship. We dismiss the king for ourselves and we find ourselves in a broken space. For the Lord, the most high God, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us. The pride of Jacob, whom he loves, selah means exhort, means to lift up. And then God has gone up with a, it says, and God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. I wish I had Mark as a little bobblehead. I could just put him in my pocket and take him with me everywhere. And when things got real, pull out Mark and the team. Y'all don't even know what y'all got in your worship team. Everybody ain't got what you got. Most churches ain't got half the talent you got. Did you hear your drummer today? Listen, I'm half Latino. I know what percussion this is. Drummer went in. Bass went in. Guitar. The whole team. The keyboardists. Come on. Don't worship them. I'm just saying acknowledge the gifts that God gave. I just talked about idolatry, y'all. Just don't. They're there to make Jesus famous. We're here to make Jesus famous. But we should have a praise on our mouth. Not complaints. But New Yorkers, we complain more than anybody other, any other city in all the world. It's, 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 it's too hot. It's too cold. It's too this. It's too that. I'm not strong enough, I'm not fat enough, I'm not light enough, I'm not skinny enough, I'm not light skinned enough, I'm not, my hair ain't straight enough, I'm not. We focus on all the superficial. The Psalms bring us back to the king, to the purpose. Sing praises to God. How shall a young man change his ways? You know, I was in Teen Challenge, I was strung out on crack cocaine, lost, stick-up kid in the South Bronx. And, and, and God saved me. God sent the messenger to me, preached the gospel. I went into Teen Challenge, changed my entire life to God be the glory. And I got in trouble in Teen Challenge. I got in trouble. And one of the professors from Valley Forge uh, Bible School, uh, Pastor uh, David Scotch, says, Sixto, my first name is Sixto. He says, I want you to go to your room and you're going to write Psalms 119 three times. All the biblicists know exactly what that. Three times. 
You know, it's like the longest psalm in the Bible. It's half the psalms. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's what, what I said. That's, that's, that's cruel and unusual punishment. What does Jesus have to do with me writing? What is this? That's corporate punishment, bro. It's because I'm black. That's why. He says, no, it's because you're nasty. You got an attitude. You got an ego. You're prideful. You don't even know how jacked up you are. Tell your neighbor, you don't know how jacked up you are. Tell your neighbor. <laughs> tell, tell Rasul, tell Ra. Tell him. Tell, tell your neighbor, you don't, even, you don't even know how jacked up. Tell, tell your husband, you don't even know how jacked up you are. Tell him. Don't look at me. Look, don't laugh. Tell your neighbor, you don't know how jacked up you are. You upstairs too. Tell your neighbor. I didn't even know you had upstairs up in here. You know, I love this space. I just got to tell you, this space is. Why? Why I got it? Why I got it right? And then I hit that text. My knuckles was hurting. I was upset. I was angry. Using foul language in here as I'm writing the holy text on a notebook. Did you hear what I said? Foul language in here while I'm writing out the heavenly text. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And then I got stuck there. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Bro, the Holy Spirit turned on the light. And I was like, how do I stop sinning? Hiding the word in my heart stops me from sinning against him. So if I get more of the word, I'll sin less. If I come to the word in humility, if I come to him in thirst, if I come to him, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The psalmist says that the word of God becomes the boundary keeper for us so that we know how to navigate through life, through crisis, through situation. To God be the glory. I changed after that. I went back and I told Pastor Dave, thanks for... Um, the assignment. It was good for me. God is king over all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. And this is my favorite. The real base text is Psalm verse 8 and 9. For, and this is, this, is, this is eschatologically implied. It points to the final consummation. It points to the, for, for, for all things becoming rectified. God reigns over the nations God sits on his holy throne, one throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. We will all be under one throne, one world, servicing and worshiping and loving and being known by the one king and the one God. As the people of the God of Abraham. We'll have distinct tribes, but our identity will not be Gentile and Jew. It'll just be the people of God. That's the implication in the text. People of God. We're here different flavors. There's different, there's coffee light and sweet. There's dark coffee in here. There's caramel in here. There's confusion in here. There's European. There's McClow in here. There's remixes in here. Nations, colors, tribes. But we're one people under God. May we learn how to worship this summer. May we find the God who's over every crisis this summer. 
Now, I don't know who I was talking to, but I know there's a time limit. I don't know where I'm at the clock. You can't, you can't give a Pentecostal, oh, oh, I got four minutes. Praise be to God. <laughs> Praise be to God. They were ready for me. They were like, look, get the iPad out, put it right here so we can point. Look, look down, look, look, look down. <laughs> Did anything I said today hit you? No, 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 no. Don't give me the yes. Did anything I, did t- I said today meet you in your life where you know I haven't been worshiping through this? I have not psalmed my way through this. Matter of fact, you might be here today. You may not, you, you may not even be a member of this church. You might be visiting. Or you might be a, a, a person that, that, that was once in the faith and you drifted. In some traditions, they call that backslidden. In some traditions, they call that just being distant. Whatever the case is, this is the day to let Jesus be the leader of your life once again, once anew. This is the day to commit your heart to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you down a path of relearning worship and relearning the text and relearning the journey. We we constantly have to resubmit ourselves. Salvific grace is instantaneous. We have a conversion experience. We're saved instantly. The seal comes upon us, but sanctification is a process. Being made holy doesn't just happen like that. And being made holy is not attire on the outside. It's the attire of your heart. How your heart is dressed. Some places you go in and you don't feel safe just because of the way they're dressed. The tradition is thick. But you don't feel safe to be who you are. The Bible orientates us. The Psalms orientate us. That no matter how messed up, if you listen to the Psalms, the crises that are revealed, the betrayals that are revealed, the vulnerability that's revealed. How do I clap my hands in worship? Because I worship a king that's above everything. But I clap my hands in worship because I can trust him with everything. I can sing hallelujah on my worst day because my God is faithful. Even when the people who who have been closest to me have betrayed me, he's never left me nor forsaken me. This is not mass emotionalism or lunacy. Our God is an awesome God and he's faithful to his people. Thirty-four years in ministry. I can talk about crisis. I can talk about being rejected and abused. I can talk about the brokenness of my life. And God has been faithful. I grew up visiting my mother in, in penitentiary. Seven years, Bedford Penitentiary for women. My father did 25 years in jail. According to statistics, I shouldn't be Reverend Dr. Nobody. Statistics dictate I should be dead or doing life but I serve a God that is able. I serve a king. I serve a king that has a different manual of statistics. And he says that the righteous have never been forsaken and their seed have never been begging for bread. Glory to God. He's a faithful God. He's a wondrous God. Hallelujah. Somebody shout to God. Hallelujah! 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 You don't need a reason to 
worship him, just say, God, you're a good God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Mi alma te alaba, Jehová. Holy is the Lord. Worthy is he. You don't never need a reason to worship God. You alive, you got a reason. You breathing, you got a reason. But you don't know how I'm living, but you're alive. You don't know what I've lost, but you're still here. We hope this message was encouraging to you. We invite you to send us an email at info at bridgechurchnyc.com so we can hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handle on all our social media platforms is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services are at 1030 a.m. and noon on Sundays at 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.